0: Hello, and thanks for joining me again today. In this episode, we'll cover salary negotiations. This is one of my favorite topics, and I believe one of my strongest areas in recruitment. I've been recognized over my two decades in the medical device industry and in talent acquisition as one of the strongest negotiators in the career field, so I think I'm pretty good at it. So I'm going to share some of my wisdom with you today in this next half hour. In this episode, we'll cover the offer process from a candidate's perspective. This can be one of the most exciting parts of the process, but can also be one of the most intimidating and daunting parts if you haven't done this before. And trust me, many candidates are not good negotiators. I don't care what level you're at. I've worked with VPs and corporate VP-level people who are not that strong at negotiation. After all, you might negotiate in your job all the time, but negotiating for compensation is very different, and you may only do it three or four times in your career. So hopefully the tips I'll share with you today will help you be better at this or recognize where you're not good at this and how to get help. In this episode, we'll give you an overview of negotiation, mindset, managing your communication, and finding a win-win. Okay, it's finally come true. All the work you've done to put together a resume, interview, talk to recruiters, and now it's the taboo section, the money section. So let's talk about negotiation in general first. Every negotiation is different, but I can definitely give you some tips. The best book on the subject is Getting to Yes by Roger Fisher and William Ury of the Harvard Negotiation Project. It's a must read for anyone in business. It's relevant to salary negotiations as well as any other business negotiation. In the book, Fisher and Uri introduce the framework called principle-based negotiation. There are two basic negotiation frameworks, positional bargaining and principle-based negotiations. Let's first talk about positional bargaining, as this should be a style that you're familiar with, and for many people, this is their only style. Basically, it's stating a position and sticking to it or countering but it's based on a position let's use a simple example you get to a flea market and a painting is priced at $75 you say i'm willing to pay 40 the vendor acts insulted and says 70 you say 50 he says 65 finally you land on 60 you end up feeling like you paid too much and he feels like he gave it away The deal is done, the negotiation is incomplete, but both parties leave feeling like they got the short end of the stick, or maybe someone feels like they won. Positional bargaining has its place, but it's very limited. It works for transactional purchases because it's quick and doesn't take much investment for either side. The risk is that it can damage relationships, leaving people feeling poorly treated. Not much of a problem at the flea market where you may never have to see the person again, but for an executive who may work with a vendor or a salary negotiation, where starting off on the wrong foot might impact your career, this may not be the best scenario, so we need another way. As I said before, for many people, positional bargaining is the only trick in the bag when it comes to negotiations. For you, once you've listened to this podcast, hopefully you can go further and get For you, once you've listened to this podcast, and hopefully go further by reading Getting to Yes, and better yet, becoming a student of negotiation, you'll have more than one style in your quiver. So let's talk about an alternate style, principle-based negotiation. As we've said before, principle-based negotiation is a concept in the book Getting to Yes by Fisher and Uri of the Harvard Negotiation Project. It focuses on the interests of both parties. It emphasizes conflict management and conflict resolution. Because the goal of principal negotiation is to find a mutually shared outcome, it is sometimes referred to as win-win. You've probably heard that phrase before, but most people misuse it or don't understand it. This is where win-win comes from. This is a different approach from the view of tough negotiation, where one party inevitably loses and the other one wins. If we delve into principled negotiation in more detail, we find out that there are four central guidelines to this approach. 1. Separate the people from the problem being negotiated. Issues should be decided on their merits rather than being influenced by emotions or individuals who are involved. Number 2. Focus on negotiating parties' interests, not their positions. Focus on their interests, not their positions. That means that more information needs to be shared. Underlying interests or motivations that drive individuals in negotiation are often quite similar. This is an opportunity to find common ground. By focusing on interests, the parties may see that they're not as opposed as they thought they were. Any discussion about interests should offer concrete and specific detail. This makes the interests more credible. Number three. Generate different options for mutual gains. Sometimes people will focus too narrowly on generating ideas. For example, they may judge their ideas during a brainstorming session rather than simply proposing ideas and evaluating them later. Alternately, parties may limit their focus to their own immediate interests. This stifles options that have appeal to all involved in negotiation. Number four, base the outcome from a principal negotiation session on objective criteria. For example... If two parties are involved in a purchase or sale of a house, certain objective criteria might be applied to the price, such as recent sale prices of comparable homes in the area, adjusted for depreciation, or the opinion of an independent appraiser. Principled negotiation isn't right for all situations. Certain scenarios do not lend themselves to principled negotiation. Where one party assumes a competitive strategy and is focused on winning at the other's expense meaning it takes two parties to engage in a principle-based negotiation. If one party is positional bargaining, this strategy probably won't work. Situations where negotiation involves a widely available commodity product. This is also a scenario that, that will not work. But since you're an expert in your field and highly valuable, I do not believe that you qualify as a widely available commodity. You're a highly valuable individual. Using principle-based negotiation should be the most effective form for getting what you want, which is a win-win and a new job in a great company. So how does this apply to offer negotiation? Finding a win-win and maintaining relationships are critical to starting a new job. You don't want to be the person that gets knocked out because of how you negotiate. And people talk about this. If you're a jerk in the negotiation process, and a lot of times positional bargaining creates the situation where you are a jerk. You could get knocked out. They could just leave the table. And in an offer negotiation, the company leaving the table means you're out. They'll hire somebody else. So positional bargaining can be very high risk in an offer negotiation. Also, you don't want to be considered the problem person by HR from day one. No matter if you're working with a recruiter, HR, or your future manager, Principle-based negotiation is my recommended style. Here are some general guidelines as you apply them to offer negotiations for a job. Share the why. Make your argument on data and principle, not your wants or expectations. They need to be based on data or real-life situations. For example, I need more salary because I did my research and I found out that the average principal engineer is making 10% more than you offered me. Or a why. I need to make up for this bonus that I'm walking away from because I need a down payment for the house. You're asking me to relocate from Chicago to New Jersey. It's very expensive. When I sell my house, I won't have the equity. I need that cash to be able to put a down payment and come work for your company. The why is really important, and sometimes it involves sharing a little bit of personal information. But again, people hire people. You want to be a person in the negotiations, not just an automaton that states a position and then says they're willing to walk away if they don't get what they want. That sounds more like a spoiled child than a business professional negotiating with a future employer. Do you think a CEO candidate says, if I don't get this money, I'm leaving? They have principles and reasons and impacts that they talk about. That's what principle-based negotiation is about. It's about negotiating with principle. It's about negotiating through relationships, through building credibility, by sharing details of why, and what, and how, so that both parties can work together to get to a mutually beneficial agreement or a win-win. The why does two things. It lets people walk in your shoes. That means it builds credibility. It builds rapport. It builds empathy. People are more willing to make concessions if they're empathetic. To the individual versus being neutral or annoyed by a request. And yes, your request can be annoying. People don't like that. You need to make your requests in a way that people can create empathy for you and not annoyance. Another thing I'd recommend, and this is just kind of stream of consciousness, is you want to have all your requests grouped together. There's nothing more difficult in a negotiation. If you settle one point and then the person thinks it's settled and you say, oh, but I got this one. And then you got this one and you kind of reveal your cards one at a time. It's, often, it's always best to say when you're countering somebody or when you're in negotiation – hey, I have three or four areas that I want to discuss in this negotiation. Let's lay my cards on the table so you can see the whole picture and then let's work creatively to meet these needs or respond to them as a group. I don't want to just share them one at a time because that dealing with issues in isolation doesn't suit principle-based negotiation because one of the other things in principle-based negotiation is you want to create third alternative solutions and many times... An offer, especially a complex one, is a system. I'll give you an example like of this. If you're relocating and you're worried about cost of living, you could get more salary. That could help. You also could get a mortgage subsidy. That could probably help. Or you could get a sign-on bonus, which would help you have a larger down payment on your house, which would then reduce your monthly payment. So there are multiple alternatives to get to the solution of being able to afford living in a more expensive place. But without sharing the system, people often don't have the information to or context to make a good decision. And a lot of times, without that information, people see candidates as needy, demanding, or obnoxious. When they see a candidate as a person with wants, needs, a family, responsibilities, they tend to be more accommodative because they realize where the request is coming from and why and then they see themselves in that similar position and they're more willing to accommodate it the second thing that the why does is it open up opportunities for third alternative solutions which we kind of talked about Um, so that's a good transition to the next step which is be open to third alternative solutions or better yet propose alternative solutions so a third alternative solution is an option that's not on the table already so in using the relocation example we covered previously you could tell the person, look, I'm worried about the cost of living, and that's why I'm asking for a higher salary. If we were able to come up with another alternative way to help me to um, be able to afford to live in this area, I'd be open to that. The only reason I'm asking for more salary is to satisfy that specific point. So if there is another solution, I'd be open to talking about that. So that's third alternative. Let's explore these situations a little bit further. So working with a recruiter. So my recommendation is if you're working with a recruiter, both internal or external, share what you want and need openly. At this point, you should have a strong trusting relationship and they have far more experience in negotiation and they have a vested interest in making this work out. So they're going to be well positioned to help you explain your needs, wants, and position probably better than you can because they have far more experience in this area and understand the norms in the industry or the norms in their organization and how to communicate this. So more information is better at this point. If you're working with HR, focus on data and implications to you as an employee. So the example of this is salary data. If you're looking for more salary, use salary data um, or use sort of emotional individual instances tend to help with HR. If you're working with the manager, focus on balancing the why with the impact you will have if you can work this out. So, you know, I I hope we can work out this salary thing. We're only a few thousand dollars away um, because I really want to come there and be able to get the XYZ product launched by the end of the year. So let's shift to another topic here, and I think this is one of the most critical ones in negotiation, which is mindset slash emotional. Managing your emotions is a critical part of getting to a win-win negotiation. One way to manage this is by clearly setting out the goals of your negotiation. Go into this process with a realistic bottom line set of numbers. Write it down. Figure it out. Figure out what success in this negotiation looks like. Now, this isn't the pie in the sky. This is the absolute minimum that it will take to work this out. If you don't get this, you're willing to walk away and go to your best alternative to a negotiated agreement, which in the case of a job is typically another job or staying where you're at. So figure that out. Now, it's not to say that you should aim low, but you need to have something objectively written down because the emotions will grab a hold of you. You will get attached to your position, to your wants, to your daydreams. And this isn't healthy. This can get in your way. So really think about it. Before you get in negotiation, what is the minimum that you're willing to accept? You don't necessarily need to share this, but you need to know. So at the end of the day, when you're evaluating that offer and making that final decision and making that Ben Franklin close for yourself. And the Ben Franklin close is very simple. You take a blank piece of paper, put a T on it. And on the top of the T, you put pluses on the left-hand side and minuses on the right-hand side. And you write down all the positive things about doing this and the job. And on the right side, you put all the negative things. And then you do your tally and you look at whether or not this makes sense. And one of the things adding into that is your original scenario on the finances. Here's another thing. Despite what people say, a great job, company, and opportunity will pay more over time than what you get in negotiations. I know there's plenty of books out there that say this is the only time to get more money. You need to hold firm to negotiations. You need to get a big offer because after that, you're never going to get any more money. I'm here to tell you that's old school. That's from the days where people stayed at a company for 30 years and got a gold watch. In this day and age, people are of value. They're not commodities. You are the architect of your career. You have choices. You're in demand. You're an achiever. You get things done. You have value. If a company doesn't see that, find another company that does. If you're managing your career and a valuable player, you'll get promoted. You can always talk to leadership about your compensation and impact. You can ask for more. You can just muddy the waters and blow it by being pigheaded during the negotiation. Think about this. Is the company going to give you more, more equity, more cash, more title after one or two interviews or after six or 12 months where you've been doing the job, where they see how good you are, where they see the impact you have. If you don't feel like it's fair at that point, then you walk in the door with your boss or HR and you talk to them about it and you say, Hey, this is what I'm, this is my impact that I'm having. This is the data that I've found. This is the value This isn't working right. We need to do something different here, or we need to come up with a plan to get me where I want to be. Good professionals are able to do that on a regular basis in a way that's reasonable and achievable. So don't try to get everything in the negotiation. Some of the best companies, some of the best jobs, aren't going to give you everything you want walking in the door. Some of the worst companies will give you more because they're desperate. So be careful out there and keep yourself... Balanced, emotionally and expectation-wise, if you've been underpaid, don't expect an organization to make up for you being underpaid in one shot. They're probably only going to give you a 7 to 10% increase in base salary. That's market average. Don't think you're going to get 50%. Sometimes people get a little bit more, and that typically happens in the fifty dollars to $75,000 range. People at that level tend to be underpaid, and organizations see far more value in them. If you're in the 100 to 150, you know, expect 7 to 10%. If you're at the 150 to 250, you're lucky if you get an increase in your base salary when you change jobs. At that level, at the VP, senior director level, those changes tend to be more about equity and opportunity and impact than base salary. That's my experience, and I've been doing this for 20 years. So don't feel like the company's going to to single you out and give you a raw deal. There's just other things other than base salary. So don't get fixated on base salary. Create a spreadsheet with comp and desired comp. There might just be a good time to share this with HR or with your recruiter. Some of the best negotiators that I've dealt with in my two decades shared a spreadsheet saying, hey, here's where I need to be, and here's why, and here's the numbers. Those people got more than the people who sat there and just demanded like little children. Because again, who do you want to help out? The person who is, you can empathize with, who's created a relationship and rapport, or the person who's a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Don't get caught in your position. Evaluate your position and be willing to accept change. Things are going to change in the negotiation. You're going to find an information that makes you sick to a point or give it up. But be able to move from that point Again, just like hiring people, and I've said in previous podcasts, you need to be able to move at that point. So let's cover top 10 tips for effective negotiation. Recognize your situation. What I mean by this is, one, understand, is this positional bargaining that you're in, is a company or your um, co-negotiator, the person you're negotiating with, are they positional bargaining with you? Or are they willing to engage in principle-based negotiation? At least try to get them to principle-based negotiation. And here's how I do it. A lot of times I'm dealing with candidates that want a positional bargaining, and I say, hey, so um, I don't know how much you negotiate, but uh, this is what I do. And um, I'm going to give you a framework that I think could help us have a more effective negotiation. It's called principle-based negotiation. Here's how it works. It came from a book through the Harvard Negotiating Project. Um, What it is is about the whys and the whats versus just a number. I'd like to have that discussion with you because I think it would be far more successful than just us sticking to our positions because we may not get anywhere. Um, A lot of times that realigns people, especially in organizations, and also it helps give you some credibility because you have a negotiating framework and not everyone does. Many managers don't. Many HR folks don't. Many recruiters don't. So at least try to focus on the principles and get them focused on the principles. Number two, Provide data and reasons why. Again, this is assuming you're in a principle-based negotiation. Sometimes you're going to be in a positional bargaining situation. Recognize it. Deal with it. It may not work. You give your numbers. You say it's going to work. It's going to not work. And that's what you do. Number three, propose alternatives. Number four, be prepared. So this is where putting together your position, what success looks like, what you want and need. Um, if you are walking away from equity or a bonus at your company, have that information available, have all the stock that you're walking away from, um, have your salary written down, you know, there's nothing worse than going negotiation going, well, oh, I'm not sure what my salary, is. I think it's like 160. My bonus is like 15%, you know, have the data, what did your bonus pay out for the last four years. Be able to quote it out to somebody and you say, look, this is what I'm getting paid and here's what I think a reasonable premium is and this is what I'm willing to accept. Make it data-based. Be objective. Once again, be able to step back and not get caught in the emotions and realize that the emotions ramp up as the negotiation continues. The hardest part of negotiation is accepting, even if you've gotten most of what you're going to want and nobody ever gets everything that they want. Part of being an effective negotiator is being willing to accept something different and being able to effectively get an exchange of value and accept it. Number six, don't win the battle and lose the war. Don't get too stuck on any individual piece of negotiation unless it's mission critical. And oftentimes people overstate what's mission critical and they lose the war because they're fighting a battle. Number seven, look for exchange of value. Get something when you give something up. The best negotiators say, Well, you know, okay, I'd be willing to settle on the salary, but would you will it be willing to kick in an extra week of vacation? Or I'd be willing to settle on the salary, but I think it's low, and I think I'm going to do better than you think. So what about in three months, we evaluate my salary based on my performance? Or some people on stock say... Hey, okay, this stock is a little less than I wanted, but am I eligible for my grant this year so that I can get more stock? Because you'll see how great I'm doing, and if I do great, I want a bigger grant or goodwill. Goodwill is something to negotiate for. Um, hey, you know this? I'm willing to take this because the the company is really a great company and the job is great, and I really want to work for you. Um, but the salary is a little lower than I, I would have liked. So, um, you know, we're going to need to talk about that salary next year. And, and I would be expecting above market increases, assuming I do a great job. See, that's goodwill. You're giving up some, something you want, but you're asking for something. Um, number eight, build relationships, rapport, and trust. Best negotiators are people you like. They're people you want to do things for. So you've got to build rapport. You've got to build a relationship and you've got to build trust. Number nine, don't get caught in emotions. Number 10, hang the win out there. So this is kind of a sales technique. If you do this, I will. And that's really important as you get down to the dot in the I's and crossing the T's in negotiation. The best negotiators will get a little bit more, a little bit extra at the end because they'll say, hey, we're really close. We started here. We started like 50 grand apart. We got down to twenty-five thousand. We're in the stadium now. We're in the we in the parking lot. We got into the stadium, and now we just need to close this thing. I, I think I can get this done. If you are able to give me three thousand more in salary and an extra week of vacation, I'll accept and start next week. That's hanging the win out there. It's committing. You got to make a commitment. If you do this, I will do that. That gets across that final line. But in order to do that, you need to be prepared. You need to be willing to accept. And that is another way to negotiate. So hopefully that's just giving you a primer of um, how to negotiate and the different styles of negotiation, some tips and techniques. We'll probably do another deep dive in the future. But again, that's about the time we have. So thanks for joining me on this episode.